I've been on three different companies, product development teams. And I can tell you, it's hard as hell to come up with fresh new ideas. Um, but when you get one, you get excited. And, and, and the biggest challenge then is just getting a park to be that first one, to be the guinea pig to, to uh, you know, ride it and say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take one of those. Because that's always challenge. Everyone likes the second and third of something. The first is always the tough one. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going fantastically, Josh. How are you? Doing great. Always glad to hear that. Question for you, Matt. Yes. Have you ever spieled at a ride or attraction or anywhere else in a park as a guest? Oh, that as a guest part really throws a, a monkey wrench into the whole thing. Um, you mean other than like to myself or like if I was going along with whatever spiel it was just to annoy other people? No, it would have to be like on a microphone, <laughs> people are looking at Matt, you're talking to an audience. I don't think I've ever done that. Have you? Yes. Well, do tell. Uh, there was one time on Jungle Cruise where I was invited to be the guest skipper. And in addition to telling Jungle Cruise jokes, I started telling jokes from Paddle Wheel Excursion at Cedar Point, uh, <laughs> despite the fact that I was at the Magic Kingdom in the right. jungle. And by the way, I never worked at Paddle Wheel Excursions. I just wrote it enough and I knew the spiel. And I had always wanted to deliver that spiel. And that was that was my one opportunity to do it and they gotcha. gave me a little 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 card little uh you know guest skipper that they probably give to you know six-year-olds normally right yeah. it was uh one of the best days of my life definitely well, like top 10. was was that a a guest skipper please don't come back and tell those jokes again card it was, it was a restraining order i think right. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you 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 got to meet disney security how fun <laughs> no it was the regular uh they're like okay here here you go little boy and like go away now yeah that's funny that's funny so no i have not um but why do you ask because our guest today also has uh there was one time he was on the jersey shore and he convinced a carnival barker to hand over the microphone and uh he when asked if he had worked in the amusement industry before he got a job with iapa he said well kind of and he told that story of of a couple of moments where uh where he briefly worked in the industry as a guest. And you know, what I think is so fascinating, and by the way, our guest is Pete Bartow uh, of PB Amusement. And um, what I think is so fascinating is that, is that his career ultimately turned into a sales career and building relationships and serving others. And that's what you're doing on the microphone, right? You're trying to get people to come over and play the game and see if you can win and all those type of things. So, you know, that to me seems like it's kind of in his DNA. 
Yeah, absolutely. Just just that sales mindset. And what's really interesting about Pete's career as well is that he's worked for IAPA, he's worked for Hershey Park, and he's worked for multiple ride manufacturers. So he kind of has this triple crown of the operator, the supplier, and the association, which impacts uh, his perspective and his lens on the industry, which ties in very nicely with what he does with his company, PB Amusement, which is helping attractions and parks uh, select the best investment for their next ride attraction or experience. And he kind of called himself a couple of different things, right? He called himself kind of a broker or a rep or a consultant or advisor. Um, and he really does all of those things. I think it's fascinating from a business standpoint, how Pete described how he's kind of letting PB Amusement sort of evolve into what it can be. Um, but also, I'd love to see his iPad that said all those different things about what he's good at and what he would love his 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 business to be, uh, because I can't think of a better way to kind of tap into those things that you're passionate about. Cause they may be, they may seem dissimilar at one point, but then when you get into the position of actually being in a, in a role where you can kind of determine your own future, then you can kind of pull things together and say, well, I like this and I like this and I like this. And then you put them all together and that becomes your career. So mm -hmm. it's kind of cool to kind of hear that story. For sure. And the way that his business came about, you know, it was not uh, just created on a whim. You know, you mentioned the word evolution of how he wants it to evolve. And just the way that it has evolved into the business he has now is completely about the relationships built along the way. So that's one of the, the big themes of this episode is that uh, it, it, this in, in a way is, I think, a, a lesson in networking. Uh, you know, he talks about how he enjoys doing business with friends and you can just hear his passion for the industry and, and the parks and the experiences, as well as the people behind all of that as well. And so I think without, um, you know, ruining the relationship that we have with our listeners and our watchers, why don't we go ahead and get to this, get to this interview with Pete. Let's do it. Hey, Pete, welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast. We are so excited to have you here today. How are you? Uh, I'm doing very well, doing very well. I couldn't be better if it were a, well, a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's Tuesday. I don't know. With the, with the pandemic, you never know anymore. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> Days of the week. When, you know, what, what is that? What does that mean? Exactly. I, so, Pete, to get this kicked off, can you give us, tell us about yourself. Give us a, a quick intro and a little uh, background in your career. Sure, sure. I, you know, I've kind of had a, an, an interesting career and an interesting path to, to this industry. I, I started my, my, my career in, in marketing and public relations, working for McDonald's restaurants in Central Pennsylvania and Domino's Pizza's corporate office and uh, Kitty Academy Child Care Learning Centers. And, and I was, I was kind of fumbling around and I, I, I had success, but there was something I was missing uh, on the marketing end of things. It, and I think it, 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 it really showed itself when I eventually found my way to my position at IAPA, where it was, it's that understanding of marketing versus sales and, and seeing with marketing, you generate that excitement, but you don't always get that reward at the very end, or at least you don't get to see it firsthand. So uh, my very first sales job actually was with IAPA, the International Association of Mutual Parks and Attractions, which everyone I'm sure knows. Um, and I got hired back in 2005, I believe. And um, from there, it just kind of took off, um, you know, from being the vice president of conferences, trade shows and sales, 
got to know a lot of the folks in the industry, moved from there to Premier Rides, uh, had a chance to work with Hershey Park in their group sales side. So I got the association side, the manufacturing side, and the park side. From there, I uh, had an opportunity then to work for SNS Worldwide, SNS Sansei Technologies, uh, had a very successful run there. And then uh, with Extreme Engineering uh, in their group. And uh, from there, I um, decided, I said, maybe it's time to go out on my own. And so here we are. Here we are. And we definitely want to hear about PB Amusements. And I, mm-hmm. I got to say, whenever I say that or look at it, I think peanut butter, but I know it's Pete Merton. <laughs> Gosh, you um, figured it out. <laughs> uh, but Pete, let's go back to when you started working with IAPA, because, you know, so many of the people listening to the to the show and watching the show are in the attractions industry. So was that your first, like, launch into the attractions industry is working for IAPA? Yeah, I mean, directly that, I, I mean, the direct influence was the, it, that way. Um, I, before that, I had been working for Billy Casper Golf Management. So I had always been around the hospitality industry. Um, and again, didn't couldn't necessarily quite find my home. I couldn't figure out what I was missing. And uh, so funny story, I was living in Leesburg, Virginia. Uh, if you know that that area, the, the traffic from there to Alexandria, Virginia is absolutely horrific. I think it's the second worst traffic other than Los Angeles. So um, uh, I saw I saw a, a position that was available, talked to a buddy of mine, Corey Connors, who used to work in government relations for IAPA. He got my resume in front of some people just as a, hey, you know, take a look at this guy. He might be of interest. Went down there for resume practice, honestly, or interview practice to go down and, and just say, I said, I'm not going to drive 55 minutes each way every day to, for a job that uh, was a carny job. What I don't even know what this is. And went down there. I had the interview and I remember driving home and I called my wife and she's like, how'd the interview go? And I went, it went really, really well. I, I think I want this job. <laughs> and, and from there it, it just took off. I mean, I, the, the, the passion that I, that had been somewhat hidden or, my my love of the industry, which started from a very young age, uh, just it it all came together uh, with IAPA and and getting a chance to get to know the operators, the manufacturers, the suppliers, the people in this industry, and learning that there were a bunch of passionate, crazy people out there just like myself. It was like joining a club. So prior to that. I, you know, today you are considered, you know, an, an expert in the industry and you know so much about, you know, both the, the operator and the supplier side. And of course, we're going to talk more about that in, in the next few minutes. Uh, was, was, did, did that all start with your career beginning with IAPA or were you, were you a consumer of the product beforehand or had you worked in the industry in, in some way, shape or form, or was it kind of all brand new to you then? Well, it, it, indirectly, I guess I, I worked in the industry and I'll tell you a couple of stories and I still have invoices out for payment, but uh, one of them was uh, I used to, um, uh, I grew up going down the Jersey shore and going to uh, Maury's Pier and, and Wildwood area all, every, every summer. I'd save all my money up and we'd go up onto the, up on the boardwalk, uh, you know, two or three times a, um, a week while we were down there. And I used to always go and sit by the Barkers that ran the, the horse race game. I think it's a Bob Space Race was horse race game. We roll the ball in and I, uh, you know, in the middle of the day, it's kind of quiet, not quiet, but not real busy on the games. And I'd convinced the, the Barker to let me run the microphone and sit there and go, okay, who wants to beat the 12 year old out here sitting at the, and lo and behold, I'd start bringing people into to play against me, mainly because I wanted to be able to win some prizes. 
So, so that was kind of my unofficial uh, uh, first job in the industry. Um, my, my second one was probably um, when I had a season pass at Hershey Park in high school. And I'd go to the park and we ride, ride a bunch of rides. And then I'd go out and, and ride the tram car back and forth from the parking lot to the, uh, to the front gate. And again, I would uh, convince the operator in the back that had the microphone that was giving the tours that, hey, maybe I could give this tour. I've ridden it three or four times with you. I mean, if you look up to your left, you'll see the Milton Hershey School, the Milton Hershey School. So, so I had the whole spiel down and uh, ended up, uh, uh, you know, having a lot of fun just and again, I wasn't getting paid. I was just doing it because it was it was fun to do and 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 being a part of it. And you know, before I app, I I, didn't, I had no idea there wasn't you know jobs in this industry. To tell you the truth, it just like amusement parks just happened to be there. They were they were always there. So um, you know, I've had that Matt, that love for them across the board. It's not just a you know a singular ride type. It's you know it's coasters, it's dark rides, it's games, it's the food. Every every bit of an amusement park um gets me excited and always has since i was four years old and my 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 father used to uh, used to do a full park buyout of hershey park and our family would go there every summer so it, it's it's always been ingrained in me and and uh, a, a passion a love and to be able to to then work in this industry is just unbelievable that's so cool i, lo I love that story and, and how you convinced all those people to hand the microphone over to you right <laughs> there's got to be some parallel in what you do now just in terms of um you know i don't want to say convincing but in sales right mm -hmm. and in, in marketing there's there's part of that and telling the story and bringing people in to be part of that story so let's go ahead and transition to talk a little bit about pb amusements and how that came about and kind of where you are and what you're doing today sure i mean I, you know i again tie, tying into that passion for the industry, uh, yeah. Again, I, I didn't. When I was thinking about uh, creating a company and going out on my own, it, it started actually about two years ago when I actually formulated the LLC and said, "Okay, I want to do something eventually myself. I want to be my own boss, if you will, and and go in the directions that I want to go and and, and do the things I want to do and work with the people in the industry that I want to work with." So, uh, two years ago, I started it. It started getting. Uh, you know, I started getting a little more excited about it. I started, started uh, you know, as I did a lot of travel for the various uh, companies I worked for, I, you know, I'd keep a little notepad of stuff that I like. Actually, it was my iPad, but I kept notes constantly of things that I like, things I'd love to do. Say, oh, gosh, wouldn't it be great if when I launched this company, I did this or I did that. And, and what I came to the conclusion was that I wanted to, I wanted to be more than just a independent sales rep, you know, representing, you know, a few companies or whatever, and trying to sell whatever those wares were. I wanted to be more of a consultant, a broker, a, almost a, almost a middleman. I, you know, I wanted to be able to represent those manufacturers properly with the products that they were looking to sell. But I also wanted to be able to be talking to the, to the park owners and, and the management team and be able to look them in the eye and say, this is really the, the best attraction for you based on the research I've done on your park. I didn't just show up and say, hey, what are you looking for? It was looking at their ride portfolio, looking at, the, at their, their, you know, some of their product mix, looking at what their competition had or is doing and trying to understand uh, from, a, from a park standpoint where uh, where, you know, where they might be falling short. And it, it, it's kind of funny because every park is very different. And I, the, 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 um, the, the final capstone project I did for my MBA that I finished up in 2017, um, I actually did 
uh, a year-long study on determining how parks made their decision for purchasing rides. And, and unfortunately, the, the conclusion was there is no one <laughs> formula. Unfortunately, there was no silver bullet. But there were some, some uh, geographic and there were some um, uh, uh, um, age, age uh, appropriate things that, that triggered some consistency amongst parks. So, so I, I tend to bring that to the table when I talk to a park and share that information because, again, I'm not, I, I, when I go to a park, I want to make sure that I'm not just asking something from them, but I have something to give them as well that they can maybe take and use uh, somewhere in the park along the way. Pete, can you share a little bit of, of the gap that you fill here in the sales process? You know, when you talk about, you know, the parks, they're not being, you know, one particular way to, you know, to make that investment in their next ride or attraction or, or, or uh, their next big CapEx project. I, but what is, you know, what is the reason to come to you versus putting out an RFP or, or going to all the manufacturers individually? Sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, one of them is, is uh, actually, I hope the, the number one thing is, is trust um, in that I've, I've built these relationships over 20 years and the, the people in this industry, I think they see the passion that I have and the people in this industry that are dedicated to it are incredibly passionate. I mean, you guys are incredibly passionate uh, ambassadors for the industry. And I think passion recognizes passion. And I think that's part of it. They know that I'm going to be doing things for their best interest. I'm going to be trying to connect them with the right manufacturers. The ones that if I owned a park, I would go and purchase the ride. I, I've been doing it for, for 15, 20 years anyway in the industry before I did that. I just wasn't getting paid for it. I would say, hey, oh, you're looking for a dark ride? Oh, yeah, go, go talk to this company or go talk to that company. Now I'm like, hey, wait why don't I rep for you? <laughs> if I'm going to be recommending you anyway, you know, let's, uh, let's make this a little more formal. So I, I, I think that's, that's part of it. And again, I, I think I'm bringing to the table a little more, it's not, it's not honesty. Cause I think, I think the majority of the folks in this industry are, are honest and good people. I, I genuinely feel that way. Um, but I think there's so much, there's so much business to be had out there that everyone can be a, a winner everyone can get a ribbon <laughs> but i mean i think everyone can can really be successful in this industry and i love seeing everyone be successful it's just like when something bad happens in our industry everyone hurts from it and when something you know if everyone is doing well and success is happening and the gates are, are cranking and and new rides and, and manufacturers are challenging each other with new innovations i think that's that's really where this industry can can really grow and be more successful. And I, I like being a part of that. I like being able to, where I am with PV Amusements, be able to uh, shift my attention or shift that 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 focus on maybe a product that is th that is new, but maybe not as well known in the in the in the states or in North America or, or even in Europe for that matter. So I think that gap that I'm filling to kind of come full circle with this is is going in with a lot of different products, um, but not necessarily those products being exclusive. So I could be recommending two, possibly even three of a similar product or a similar footprint or similar CHRC for a park that will meet their needs um, without having a conflict. Um, and, and that's kind of the difference, I think. So hopefully that will, that will drive it. And, you know, I've always said that, you know, I'm not a great salesperson, but I have a really good Rolodex and I think I'm not a 
complete ass, so people will take my calls. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you say you're not a good salesperson because as I looked on your LinkedIn, you know, every position says sales, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you translate the the fact that you just said I'm not a great salesperson to the fact that you're in sales now, you're selling yourself, you're selling mm -hmm. products, um, and that you've had all these sales positions. So is it not about being a quote unquote salesperson and being more of a, you know, someone who advocates for relationships and trust building and things like that? So where, where do you kind of stand on that? Yeah, a hundred percent. It's all about relationships in this industry. I mean, uh, you know, people always, it's, it's so funny. It's, it's, it, we have the greatest jobs in the world. I mean, you go to a cocktail party and tell people what you do and they go, what, that's a job. Yeah. Go, yeah, they actually pay me to do it too. And I, and I think that, that, that those relationships are, are key. I mean, you have to be in front of the parks. You have to be spending time. And you have to be sincere about the way you're doing your business. It's, you, can't, you can't fake this. I, I mean, the, the people in this industry are so passionate. They love their parks so much. They're so proud. And the manufacturers themselves are very, very proud of the product that they're creating. It doesn't matter if they created it in their garage or if they got a massive factory. There's, there's an immense amount of pride. And I think I, I, can ta I tap into that, that, that kind of pride because I'm proud to represent some of those parts. I'm proud to be, uh, or, or proud to be able to be, have the relationships I have with the people out there. I care about them. I care about their families. It's more than a job to me. Um, you know, I, I'm not trying to make a, a, a million dollars out there. I want to make a good living and really and and be proud of the work that I do and stand at the exit line as people get off the ride that I sold and watch the smiles and the waves and and the giggles and and all those things. That gets me. That gets, there's my goosebumps. That gets the goosebumps for me when I can say. That's my ride. That's my ride. I guess what? It's going to be there for like 40 years, you know, maybe more. That's my ride. Um, so that, that's what, that's what really keeps me going. That's what, that's what, that's what gets me excited. And I, and I think that the parks also recognize that I'm going to be there beyond the sale. I'm, you, I usually try to make at least one, if not two stops at a park during the installation. You don't want me turning to screw. Trust me. I don't turn bolts. I don't turn screws. I'm not good. And if I am, you're in trouble. If that's uh, what's going on. But I, but I want to be there to listen to how the experience is going because that's a piece that's outside of my control. But I always say when I, when I sell a ride, I said, look, I'm not one that disappears. I'm the squeaky wheel. I'm not the guy that's going to be able to fix your problem, but I'm going to be able to get to the person that fixes your problem and I'm going to be in their ear constantly until they fix whatever that issue is because I want you to buy 20 rides from me across 50 years, not one ride and done. So I'm there through the end of it. I, I even go and visit the, the parks uh, and, and ride the rides and, and check on the uh, rides that I had sold for other manufacturers that I'm no longer working for anymore. And you can talk to a number of manufacturers or uh, parks about that. I mean, I, I'm still connected to those rides, even if I don't work for that company anymore. That's awesome. I, so one of the things you, you mentioned earlier and would love to bring it back up is that, you know, in, in, the, in the study of one of the factors that go into making that investment in the next amusement ride, that there isn't, you know, the, the one silver bullet or the one like magic pill there to do it. I, what are some misconceptions that perhaps the industry has that when it comes to investing in rides and attractions, as far as uh, things that, that maybe people don't necessarily realize when making these types of decisions or that aren't necessarily brought up in the, in the early conversations. 
Yeah, I, I think probably the the biggest misconception is the amount of input that comes from all parts of a park. And again, having worked in a park, I can tell you that it, it's everything from guest services to maintenance uh, to to obviously the operations and things like that. But you know, an example is is downtime when you're looking at a ride. Downtime is is a killer for parks, especially you know if you're in the middle of the summer. And you're a high volume park and the signature ride that I guarantee whoever's in there talking to guest services is saying is the whole reason they came to that park that for that ride. Um, it, it's it's puts a lot of unnecessary pressure on a park. So it starts with the with the ride operators getting chewed out. Why aren't you riding a ride? Oh, this ride's always broken. And then the maintenance people come up and the maintenance people are, are, are getting chewed out by the ride operators. And then they're going back and talking to their people and guest services is getting hit up with people looking for, you know, free tickets because that particular ride is down. Um, all those factors come into play, the maintenance costs, the annual um, replacement, you know, how reputable is the, the company that you're purchasing from? Are they going to be here 20 years from now, five, let alone five years from now? Um, because the parks aren't moving, you know, so if all of a sudden they can't get parts and service, I think, you know, that's a, that's a big problem. You know, you need to be able to have the, the you need to have that reputation that, you know, you're going to be taken care of for many, many years. You're not just buying a fly-by-night product. So I think that's a big part. I think the other big probably misconception is all of those other decisions that come into it. I mean, obviously number one is, you, you know, you want to move your gate when you, when you put a ride in. And, um, but it's how you're moving your gate that sometimes, um, is important. For instance, uh, again, one of the one of the things I, I saw was the demographics, and this was again about five years ago. So we're probably living it right now. I should probably check to see if their projections were correct. But when I was uh, looking at what was determining uh, the decisions by parks for rides, the they were looking. I, I was looking at the number of family rides that were being out there, and specifically rides that were thirty six inches and thirty nine inches in height. And the reason for that is during that during that time from 2015 to 2020, or uh, and through 2025, the number of families with a child age two to five was increasing by I think it was 10 percent. Now it didn't mean they didn't have a teenager in the family as well, but think about it. You know, I don't know if you guys have, have kids or not, but certainly young kids they dictate where you're going and what you're doing. And so if you didn't have attractions. Uh, that met that need, you were, or, or the lines were too long for those attractions because all of a sudden there was an influx of two to five-year-olds, which is that 36 to you know, 42 inch height, you know, you could potentially be losing the business. So I, I was asking a lot of parks when I went around to say, what, you know, what are you seeing longer lines? And they were saying, yeah, you know, it's on a lot of our kiddie rides and stuff like that, we're seeing longer lines. So what that means another couple of years, now you're going to have those then becoming, you know, uh, the tweeners and, uh, you know, in the teenage years, and, and you're going to see that same kind of push go. But um, I think, I think that's, a, that's, a, that's a big part of how they're factoring in their decisions, too, is, is are we hitting the right audience that's going to bring the rest of the family? Because, again, it might not necessarily be the big wow, but it's something that is, that is specifically lacking for that park that they need to address. I mean, we'd all love to put in $30 million attractions every year, but that's just not realistic. 
Yeah. Well, it's not realistic and it also doesn't hit your demographic, as you were saying, and, and, and how those demographics change over time and, you know, the age groups that are coming in. Uh, I'm curious, Pete, you, you kind of, you know, alluded to all your different areas in the, in the industry, you know, IAPA and the manufacturer side and the operator side. So can you talk a little bit about how at least those three different experiences now sort of inform your decisions or how those um, kind of lead you down a certain path, maybe understanding, you know, kind of where people are coming from, from many different angles. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's funny as I've, as I've kind of, you know, built PB amusement or, and I say built, cause that's, I'm kind of letting it run the course that it wants to run um, in that I, I have, a lot of different weird expertise, I guess, is, is probably the best way to describe it. I mean, there's, uh, I've, I've been fortunate, so fortunate to have worked again in all these different places behind the scenes here and there with the, with the parks, with the, with the, with the associations, you know, learning the, you know, sitting in on even the education sessions and things like that at the, at the various shows and, and putting together the, the, the leadership conferences and all those kind of things like that all kind of built up to, uh, allow me to have a little different perspective, uh, you know, to to understanding the full circle of why why maybe the the park is making that decision, why they're choosing this manufacturer over something that I have. You know, I can kind of I get it. I don't get upset. I never get upset when I lose a sale. It's like, hey, life happens. You're gonna buy something else at some point. Um, hopefully, the next one will be from me. But uh, I I think that you know having that understanding and then and then shaping that and and learning from it as you go forward is definitely the way to go with it so i mean i i think those those things have really played a major role and you know the last thing is you know when i worked at hershey um for those who work in parks they're familiar with the term august crunch which is you know that those last couple two or three weeks of the summer when all the college kids go to school and and there's no staff and at, at hershey every single employee from the ceo down is out running rides or or cooking burgers or, or whatever it is to keep the park open and operating. And that included me with group sales. And I still from time to time will, will volunteer my time because I think it's important to go back and understand and see your rides in action, see them operating, see how the guests are strapping into a restraint, see how the, uh, again, those, the, everything about a ride, you know, so often from an engineering standpoint, and I'm not an engineer, but uh, the engineers are behind a computer and they're looking and saying, this number does this and this and this, and this is the best way to do it. But when it's in practical use, sometimes you don't see that. And I think being able to, having had that experience working with Hershey and then periodically going back and, and helping out during August crunch to, to run a ride or a couple of rides, you understand um, where, where some challenges are with, with ride designs. And I think I can bring that to the table to, to the operators when I'm discussing, say, I understand what you're saying. That first year is the most important. Hey, I usually say within six months, they're going to know the ride better than the manufacturer anyway. And that's the truth because they're working on it every single day, every day. They know exactly where the pain in the butt is part of that ride. <laughs> that's really interesting. Um, I would love to go even a little bit deeper into uh, kind of calculating the ROI of the investment because Buying an amusement ride is, I, I can't think of that many more things that are all that much more expensive than this type of purchase. Maybe, maybe a submarine, maybe, you know, like maybe an airplane, right? I, and 
the ROI calculation I've got to imagine is, has got to be pretty tight. Right. And you mentioned kind of the, the gate and obviously, you know, turnstile clicks, I'm sure is a a huge component of it, but even pulling back as far as just other ways to be able to recoup that investment does does food and beverage play into it? Does merchandise play into it? Uh, Souvenir photo, all of that uh, into saying, here's what you can expect uh, in terms of your payback and, and how far it'll take to, to recoup this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, ultimately, just like just like any business, any kind of add-on uh, purchases are going to be the key to any any business. Not just you know that's why the grocery store you got a couple extra you know candies and snacks right there at the at the checkout counter. I mean, part of a part of the reason for putting an attraction in is to get if you get more people through the gate, more people are going to buy sodas, they're going to buy more food, they're going to buy souvenirs, all those kind of things. So that that does factor in and. And, you know, every park has um, has an understanding of their per cap spending. And they know that every time someone comes in, on average, that person is going to spend X amount of dollars in the park. So if, I, if the average spend is $10 per person, just throwing a number out, and I get an extra 100,000 people, you know, do the math. We just made an extra, well, I need to do another million. <laughs> I actually had to think about that for a second. Um, so I think that, you know, and for gated parks, that's definitely the, the, a, a, a little more difficult, especially, like I said, when you're looking at different segments where it may, maybe it isn't a gate mover, but it's addressing a certain part of your park that needs attention so that it doesn't get uh, dropped off the grid. But, uh, you know, that's uh, obviously the per cap spending, you know, you want to see it, or maybe you want to look at that product mix of what is selling. So if you put in a, you know, let's say you put in a kitty ride as your as your attraction that year, um, are you seeing an uptick in kids meals being purchased? You know, that's one way that you can see did did this become a a profit generator? Um, and depending on the park, some of them are looking at that average ticket. And again, this goes back to my McDonald's days of, you know, if, if, if McDonald's the average ticket at the time that again i'm going really dating myself but the average ticket at the time when someone went into mcdonald's was something like four dollars and 36 cents if a happy meal was being purchased and at the time happy meals were a dollar 99 as again dating myself i don't know what they are anymore that average ticket was like nine dollars and fifty cents and it's like how do you get to nine dollars and fifty cents because that kid isn't coming in by themselves to mcdonald's they're coming with a family and they're all purchasing something so when I, that's why I was saying when you're looking at certain ride attractions, yeah, the $25 million ride is a big bang and it's going to get a lot of people through the door. But sometimes those smaller attractions or kids attractions are actually going to help you from a profit, profitability standpoint better than, than the big rides, depending on what, you're, what audience you're trying to tap into. Sure. So Pete, you know, I was pretty fascinated by what you were talking about earlier about, you know, looking at the demographics of the ages of people, and then that could inform you of what sort of attractions or um, experiences to, to, to include. Um, What other trends are you seeing? You know, is it about, you know, virtual reality? Is it about, you know, big thrills? It is about families. I'm curious, what are those other things that you might be seeing that, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, we should be looking at to prepare ourselves now to be ready for that kind of audience? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, it's funny, you mentioned uh, VR, and, and I think VR took a probably a pretty big hit over these last two years um, with COVID and again, more cleaning protocols and things like that. So anytime you're having to wear goggles or something like that, and, and I sell some products that, that have that, 
um, the, there's a little bit more of a staffing commitment required on uh, cleaning supplies and things like that. I, and I don't think a lot of these, um, these cleaning protocols are gonna go away anytime soon uh, as a result of COVID. With that being said, I think um, AR has some, some really interesting potential, um, especially when you're talking about reinventing uh, maybe an older ride. Um, I initially felt VR was, 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 uh, was a great way to take an old coaster and turn it into something new and fancy. Um, but I, I quickly realized probably the first time I wrote it that a lot of ride attractions are, it's a social event for people as a family. Think about when you get in, get in line to, to ride a ride, Ooh, I want to sit with this person or I want to sit with that. There's always, there's a battle of who's going to be sitting next to who, because it's a social experience. So if you can do it with AR where you can still see that person and you're both looking at whatever the weird world of whatever is going on in theming, then I think that works. And I think that could have incredible applications. And I think that's where it's really going to take those rides that we're using VR and, and take it to that next level. Beyond that, it's, it's about the creativity. I mean, there's, there's, it, you can only go so high and so fast and so far and, and, uh, we're getting really close to some of those limits, I think. And, and it's, it's, I've been on three different companies, product development teams, and I can tell you, it's hard as hell to come up with fresh new ideas. Um, but when you get one, you get excited. And, and, and the biggest challenge then is just getting a park to be that first one, to be the guinea pig, to, to, uh, you know, ride it and say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take one of those. Cause that's always, challenging. everyone likes the second and third of something. The first is always the tough one. Well, the first one often is can be associated with downtime and working what? those bugs out. So, kind of a, <laughs> what we were talking about earlier to say, you know, kind mm -hmm. of when making that decision of uh, there's there's a lot of benefits of being yep. the first from a, a marketability standpoint, but then looking into the the operational and maintenance aspects of it that obviously it needs to it needs to balance out. Uh, one thing I'm curious about too, I kind of going back to the to the selection process mm -hmm. is. It, which do you think is more important for a park? Is it loyalty to a manufacturer or is it diversity and having a, a wide range of different types of products in the park? Because if I think about it, if I, if I were to walk into a park that was all B&Ms, mm -hmm. it'd be awesome. But at the right. same time, there'd be a little redundancy from, you know, from here and there. And yep. I, I feel like a lot of parks, they have a very good variety of manufacturers and ultimately that, that can... I, I guess, cater to multiple demographics. Uh, but at the same time, from the business ends of it, I imagine the manufacturers want them to keep coming back for more. So curious as far as which is more important. Yeah, you know, that that's an excellent question because, you know, I've always, again, one of those cocktail party questions I always get is, you know, what's well, a roller coaster cost? I'm like, well, what's a car cost? <laughs> you know, because it's the same kind of thing. You know, each car, you know, trucks, and they all have different, different, you know, ways that they drive and they have different ride experiences to a degree. Some are, you know, $150,000 and can drive themselves and others are, uh, you know, a used piece of junk that, uh, you know, just gets you from point A to point B and that's okay. There's something there for everyone. Um, but with that being said, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of a combination of both. I think you can't stay. I mean, I think there's, there's familiarity. That's probably the biggest thing when, when you're talking about buying from the same manufacturer or the same, same sales rep, because you know, the service you're going to get, you know, the parts costs, you know, you know, you know how that, that, that what's being promised and what's being delivered. Is it, 
are they matching? Is there a drop off? What, you know, they're advertising a thousand THRC, but the real capacity on the ride is 300. Okay. <laughs> you know, it, it, are those numbers real numbers? You know, is your salesperson just throwing whatever number that, you know, that they think could, could happen. And if you've ever operated a ride, most HRC numbers are just that theoretical, uh, unless you, you factor in the flip-flop factor, which is, you know, you know oh, wait, you got to take your flip-flops. Oh, wait, can I have your phone? You got to put that over here, too, in the bin. And, oh, you want to change seats now? Okay, gotcha. So, but I think, um, I think the familiarity does, that might actually weigh a little heavier than uh, in their decision-making than, uh, than mixing it up from a, from a product standpoint. I think ideally if you have a manufacturer that can meet your needs with a number of different rides, I think they're gonna win or they're gonna at least get the first chance to, to earn the business. Um, ultimately, they're gonna have to pick the ride that's, that's right for them. But I think if things are close, I think the, uh, you know, my experience has been, you, you go with what's familiar and what you know is treated you well. And at the same time, if you weren't treated well, it can have the exact opposite effect, you know, where maybe you're not going to get that second shot because the first one wasn't, wasn't what it was cracked up to be. Yeah. Uh, Pete, you have something on your website that I wanted to make sure that we talk a little bit about. And it was a quote from Milton Hershey, right? And he says, uh, one is only happy in proportion as he makes others feel happy. So obviously you believe in that, you put it on your website, but can you tell us a little bit more about what that means to you? Sure, sure. Uh, I, I am a, uh, uh, an incredible fan of Mr. Hershey and anyone who, who is not familiar uh, with the story of Mr. Hershey and, and what he's done. And, and again, I live in the area, which, which, which also helps, but um, it, he was an extraordinary individual and his, his, he found tremendous joy in making other people happy. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that he, he wasn't a person that went out and tooted his own horn. I mean, when he, when he donated his money to and set up his foundation back in, I believe it was 1935, about six years before he passed away, he donated that money without any fanfare. Nobody even knew that he had set up this thing and he moved in and began living above the country club in a little studio apartment um, above the country club because he just wanted to bring that joy. And he wanted to bring that feeling of family. He's always been I mean, he's an idol of mine. I mean, that's why you always hear me refer to him as Mr. Hershey because that's the level of respect I have for him. Every time I used to walk through the park, I'd do a little nod as I went past Mr. Hershey's statue in, in Hershey Park because of the the way that he makes, the way that he made me feel. You know what? He made me feel that way when I was four years old going to the park. And, you know, that's 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 the joy that I get from this industry. And that's like I said, you know, money's money's one thing, but that... Again, watching the, watching somebody come off your ride with a with a smile on their face and oh, running around because they want to go ride it again, I mean that it takes me back to my own childhood. Every every bit of it, I, I just I can't get enough of it. I still get those goosebumps when I ride up on a on a on a park and and see the skyline and the signature rides and view. It's it's that's that's what makes me happy. I I, I hope that someday, fifty years from now, someone will ride one of my rides and be like, wow, I wonder who built this you know <laughs> you know so that that that's what that's what excites me and i think that quote really captures it well and when i when i first read it and i have it on the yeah i, I used to have it on my emails so i gotta put that back on there now that i think about it um it's just it's it really captures the way that i 
see this industry in the way that I see how I'd, how I'd want to be, how I'd want to be, how I want to be perceived at some point as well, whenever my time comes. And that really should be how we all think of it, of being in this industry, of being it, you know, aligning it to the purpose. You know, it, we, you know, we get so caught up in the day-to-day, the minutia and the economics and the, the business aspects of it, which obviously is extremely important, but, uh, but to not lose sight of, of the purpose. And that is to, you know, to make other people happy. So Pete, when you are, uh, when you are visiting parks mm-hmm. as a guest, mm-hmm. what are you, what are you seeing? What are you looking for what are you thinking you talked about you know standing at the exit ramps and watching the guests get off the rides curious as far as what is what is the mindset that you have when you're walking through a park <laughs> it's it's kind of it's it's kind of funny because now I, I i look at them very differently um i am looking at you know footers <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at 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 track uh welds <laughs> you know i'm uh I'm looking at the type of, of attraction. I'm looking at the, how they're handling customer service. Uh, I'm looking at how clean the park is, which is an, a very underrated um, aspect of parks. You know, you can tell it, it's always, you, you can't always when a park is really clean, but you can tell when one is not. And I think that's very, very, um, uh, very underrated in terms of how people perceive their overall experience. Um, I, for me, it, it's, it's walking around and, and, and bringing that inner child back out again it's that same feeling i i have it every i even if the park's closed and i drive up i get excited think oh what am i gonna ride today oh wait i'm not riding anything it's february and it's 20 below and i'm in calgary <laughs> you know <laughs> so it, you know it, it's uh it, it's it's one of those things that it's it's when i when i go to a park I, I do admit that when i'm riding rides i am i am looking at different components of the ride when i should just be just enjoying myself but that be, that's become a new level of fun for me as well. You know, well, how's this launch system work? You know, what is the, what is the, what is the control panel look like? Yeah, I, I geek out into all that stuff. You know, what kind of cool food do they have here? What's that dark ride? What are they, what kind of, oh, I wonder who built those, uh, built those, uh, those automated cars. You know, every, every little bit of it. I, I've always just loved parks. I, I just, I, they're my happy place. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that, you know, as you're looking at those things, the track welds and how clean the park is and their customer service, that that's, that's sort of the next level nerdery, right? Of, <laughs> of, of being a theme park guy, right? I mean, yeah, there's people that love the, the rides and they're enthusiasts and they love to go on Orion a hundred times or whatever it is. But um, to get into the, that level of detail, I think is, is to your point where, you know, earlier about the people that have the passion for it, you can walk through a park when it's closed and still enjoy that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at a park recently with a client and they, the park was closed and we were walking through the park to go to a training area. And they said, oh, by the way, do you want to see our new restaurant? And I'm like, yes, of course, let's go see it. And I said, by the way, if you say, do you want to see? My answer is going to be yes. <laughs> Always yes. I don't Always. care what it is. Do you want to see our new trash cans? Yes. You know, um, but again, I think there's that level of passion and that level of interest and curiosity that really, um, you know, is, is contagious and it's something that we all sort of share. And it gets back to your quote of, you know, passion recognizes passion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that there's a question in all of that, but just more of a, you know, I want, I want to kind of tag onto that, but maybe the question is where do you take this passion now? Right. PB amusements is up and running. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you've, you've got your footing underneath, 
so where does this go now? Where does PB Amusements go from here? You know what? Uh, uh, again, I'm going to try to let it develop and, and create what it, what, it, what it should be or what it wants to be or, or what it can be. Um, you know, I've, the industry is, has been so good to me. It's been so good to me for so many years and I'm, I'm so appreciative and I try to give back wherever I can in, in committees and, you know, ASTM and, and any place that I think that I can, I can help. Um, you know, heck I'm working on a, a, the golf tournament for, you know, with Papa and Niapa, just that these are things that I can do. I know I can do them well and I can help people and, and raise some money for a scholarship fund. That's, that's where, where, where I'm personally going with it. Um, where the company goes, I, I think it's, you know, I want to work. I've, all, I've always said it's so much more enjoyable um, doing business with friends. So if that's friends on the manufacturing side or friends on the owner side, you know, I'm not going to be one of those ones that calls on every single park all around the world to, to get them. I, I'm going to focus on the people that I have really good, solid relationships with that I can go and, and stand in front of them and say, hey, you know, heck, I called Brian Knoble today, just busting his chops a little bit, just because he was down in Florida last week. And I'm like, don't you have a park to open? Right. I wasn't, you know, looking to sell him anything at the time. Next week, maybe, but, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, I want to, I want to go out and, and be that, that, that middleman, that, that representative, that consultant, that, that maybe they don't even know they, they want or need or have, uh, but I'm going to provide that service anyway. And, Hey, maybe I'll get a sale here and there out of it. And that's, you know, keeps it enough to keep the lights on and, uh, you know, set up the retirement fund at some point. <laughs> awesome. All right, Pete, this has been so much fun. Re uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. If people want to get a hold of you directly, if they want to learn more about PB Amusements, where would you send them? Uh, go to www.pbamusement.com and uh, order email me at pbarto, P-B-A-R-T-O at pbamusement.com uh, or just, uh, you know, find me out there. I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm on another goofy uh, websites and Google searches. <laughs> it's not that hard to find me. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, Pete, we will find you, uh, hopefully we'll find you soon in person where we can, we can speak and, and uh, share some more stories. Uh, but until then, for everybody watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.